I was travelling on a flight to Riga to visit Malcolm and Ruth, our missionaries out there. But I hadn't realised that as well as Riga having missionaries of ours, it's also a destination for stag do, stag weekends. And I went out on a Friday. The plane back on a Monday was very nice and peaceful and people were very subdued. But on the Friday, I think some of the men had had too much to drink and were filling the plane with their foul language. And I can't remember how long the flight was, maybe two hours. But I just was, during that flight, feeling the annoyance rising and rising in me. As I heard just these people filling the place with their foul language and foolish talk. And it was a relief to get off that plane and away from all those words. Why? Why? Well, because one of the things it made me think of was speech. That humans can communicate in a way completely different from any of the animals. It's part of being the image of God. It is a God-like gift from God to be able to speak in the way we can. And so misuse of this gift of speech and words is a particularly galling sin. God has given us something good. And it's to be used for good. And our subject is our words, our speech. Because in our series through the Ten Commandments, we've got to the Ninth Commandment. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbour. A couple of weeks ago in home group, we saw that commandment's about three major areas. Promoting justice, protecting reputations and being honest. But also, like the other commandments, it's a summary for a whole load of Bible teaching on a big area. In this case, the area of what you should say. It's a summary statement just for a whole load of teaching across. What does the Bible say about our words? What words we should use? But we need something on top of that. As well as just being told what we should say, we also need help for how to control our words, how to restrain sinful words and how to put our words to good use. So last Sunday evening, we had five helps to control our words, all from the book of James, which has a lot to say about the tongue, how we speak. Five helps. This time we got four more helps, but I haven't managed to get them all from one place. So we're going to be all over the place in the Bible this evening. And you can choose whether you want to try to quickly turn to those places or just listen to them. Four helps, both to restrain sinful words, but also to positively put our words to good use. Like last time, the first one is the longest and is more than a help. It's like a foundation. And the first one is this. Understand the relationship between your heart and your mouth. There's the first one. Understand the relationship between your heart and your mouth. Now, let's start with diagnosis, trying to diagnose what's going on. Why do we speak the way we do? It's a Monday evening and Evie is tearing into her housemates. She's just tearing into her with her words. What reason would she give if you said to her, why are you tearing into her with your words? And her reason would be, Sorry, but it's just been a really hard day at work. Eddie is yet again moaning at his wife. 
criticising her harshly. And when she points out to him, this is really harsh of you, why are you so critical? His response is, sorry, but uh, that's what my parents were like. I've, I've just, I know it's wrong, but it, it's just got ingrained into me. I picked it up from my parents and their example. Ellie is a schoolgirl, again, gossiping about a friend in her class. Well, maybe she's not a friend, someone else in her class, making cutting remarks about her to another friend. Why does she do that? Oh, because she's just so irritating. That's why I say those things, because she's just so irritating. Now, now you've got three people with three reasons for their words. Are their reasons true? Are their reasons for why they speak that way true? Think about that. Store your answer in your head. And I'm going to give you an illustration, which I've done at least three times here before. So I hope it's, I can get away with multiple uses of the same illustration. But I think it's a good one. And I think it's one that we keep needing. Here it is. You've seen this before, some of you. Why? Oh, I've got to be careful of my notes and my Bible. Why did water spill out of the cup? I won't do it anymore. Oh, you say, why did water spill out of the cup? That's obvious because you hit the cup. That's why water spilled out of the cup, wasn't it? Because I hit the cup. Okay, let's try again. Watch carefully. There was a little bit. (laughs) That went wrong. (laughs) A little bit did come out and it wasn't meant to. Water wasn't supposed to come out of that one. I thought that one was dry. Anyway, the point is, why did I hit that one just as much as the previous one, but no water was supposed to come out? And so we go back to the first one. Why did water come out of the first cup? Well, yes, it is because I hit it, but it's also because the water was in it. However much I hit the the second cup, if I'd carefully made sure it was fully dry, water wouldn't come out because there was no water in it. Evie, Eddie and Ellie's reasons for why they speak the way they do are true. But they are not the whole truth. They are part of the truth, but they're not good enough. That hard day at work, yes, it almost certainly did trigger those words that came out of Evie's mouth. But they wouldn't have come out of her mouth if they weren't first in her heart. We've... To help us control our words, need to understand the relationship between our heart and our mouth. Think of it this way, as well as water in a cup. Did Jesus ever have a hard day at work? Were the parents of Jesus ever a bad example to him? Did Jesus ever come across irritating people? (laughs) We're in Mark's gospel in the mornings and Mark actually shows up. His, His disciples were pretty irritating. The answer to all three of those, you know, is yes. But what about this one? Did he react with his words in a sinful way? And the answer is no to that one. Because our words are due to both the trigger and what's in our hearts. It takes both, not just the trigger. And Jesus himself explains it in those words Richard read to us in Matthew chapter 12 and just the second half of verse 34, which I'm not going to comment on really because I think I just have. Matthew 12 verse 34, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. 
Sorry, I've probably just spoken too soon because I've decided I am going to comment a bit on them. Because it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is the heart, I'd better say, is who we are at the deepest level. It is our desires and our attitudes and our thoughts. By the way, the Bible doesn't make that heart-mind distinction that we so often do. Someone recently asked me a good question. What does it mean to believe in your heart, not just in your mind? Well, the Bible doesn't make that distinction as if the two are opposites. The heart in the Bible includes our mind and our thoughts. It's the real you. It's the will. It's the mind. It's the affections. It's the desires. And what's going on there, Jesus says, that controls what comes out of your mouth. What do your words show is in your heart? Discontent or thankfulness? What do your words show is is down there? Impatience or patience? Harshness or kindness? Self-promotion or enthusiasm for God's glory? Do your words or maybe absence of certain words show lukewarmness about Jesus or love for Jesus that's alive and burning well? It's a very good thing to go through and think about. What do your words show about your heart? Because Jesus says what flows out of your mouth comes out of the heart. That was diagnosis. If you've had a diagnosis, you then need some medicine. No good just knowing, is it? We want to do something about it. Medicine. The medicine, by the way, is not avoid the triggers. Some of them, yes, we can and should avoid. But we are supposed to live godly lives in 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 the midst of pressures. And we can't avoid all the triggers, and some of them we're just not supposed to avoid. The medicine is something deeper and something better. I'm going to turn to Ezekiel 36. You can choose whether you do or just listen, because I'm just going to read one short verse. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I, God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The medicine is a heart from God, a new heart from God. Now, if you were here last time, you might start to see a parallel between this point and last time's first point. Last time was we need new life before we can bridle our tongue, control our words. This time is it's the same thing, just put in a different way. We need God to give us a new heart before we can have right things overflowing out of our heart through our mouth. And so just a simple question for you. Have you asked God to give you that new heart? I'm not going to make any presumptions about any of us this evening. Have you asked God to give you that new heart? Do you find that wrong words so easily come out of your mouth? Do you find sometimes your words make you stop and think there's there's an attitude here that's really wrong and it's really deep seated? What can change that? Only a new heart from God. Ask him for it. He's very ready and willing to give it. Now, this is also like last time. If you remember last time, we need new life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
But the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. We need his ongoing work. And it's very similar here. This new heart, Ezekiel 36 said, it's the work of the Spirit. But the work of the Holy Spirit, again, like last week, is not just a one-off at the beginning of the Christian life. Here's a verse I really like for showing we need his ongoing work. And you'll see, I think, the connection very quickly. It's John 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. See their relevance? By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. It's a lovely picture there. Streams of living water. Think of those men on the plain to Riga. Streams of foul language were flowing out of their hearts through their mouths and spoiling my flight to Riga and dishonouring God. But you can have streams of living water flowing out from within you. Words that point to Jesus. Words that do others good. Words that honour God. So Jesus says, trust me. And ask me for that gift of the Spirit, for that filling of the Spirit that then overflows out through your mouth. So the medicine is a new heart from God, the ongoing work of the Spirit, but but there is something else we can do. Remember the Bible doesn't make a heart-mind distinction. They're not put as opposites. So what's in your heart will partly depend on what do you feed your mind on. If you feed your mind on TV programs full of uncleanness and foul language, well, don't be surprised if if you find that that's what your mind is full of and it comes out through your mouth. But if instead you do Philippians 4 verse 8, do you know that? That's a verse to memorise. Well, I might just now show up that I haven't fully memorised it. Because it's something like this. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, or I've missed out, whatever is lovely. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. And if you do think about such things, well, out of your mouth surely will overflow what is good for others to hear. Remember, it's not just about putting off wrong words. It's about putting to good use the tongue God's given you. And of course, above all, Philippians 4 verse 8 is about what? What above all, or I should say who above all is noble, true, praiseworthy, lovely, admirable? It's about the Lord Jesus. Think about him and then surely it will be natural to you, not forced but natural, to speak about him. Understand the relationship between your heart and your mouth. Like last time, that was the biggest point, because it's not just a help to control your words, it's also a necessity for controlling your words at heart. But let's move on to a few more helps. First, uh, next one, pray. Next help to control your words, pray. Well, you come to church and get told to pray. Who's surprised about that? No one. That's a, that's a very standard thing, isn't it? You say, yeah, of course, let's move on. Of course you pray. Christians are always supposed to pray, aren't we? But do you pray about your words? Do you pray about your words? Easy to overlook that one, actually. 
Do you pray about how you will speak and what you will say in the day ahead? Sometimes people say, I'm expected to pray each day, but I don't really know what to pray for. Or here's one simple thing. That day, you're going to say a lot of words. So, will you make a deliberate effort to bring this into your prayers? Pray you wouldn't sin in what you say. Pray you would be carefully honest in what you say. Pray that you would be honouring to God and have an opportunity to point to Jesus in what you say. Pray you wouldn't be boastful in your words. There's so many things you could pray about your words. Let me give you two prayers that will be good to pray about your words, and they're both in the Psalms. The first is Psalm 141, verse 3. Here's a good prayer about your words. Psalm 141, verse 3. Will you pray this? Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a simple little prayer to pray each day. That would be a good one. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. And do you know that you could take action to be part of the answer to that prayer? Prayer does work that way. You can sometimes be part of the answer to the prayer. Simo Ralevich is a Serbian minister who's quite a big character. Uh, I've met him a few times. And he's written a little book called The Tongue. And like his colourful Serbian character, he puts some things vividly. And he says about this psalm, David was a soldier. And so here he's using a picture from the army. And when he says, verse 3, a guard or a watchman, he's meaning a soldier on the city gate. So he said, there's the city gate and there's a soldier called Truth. And when a word comes to the city gate and tries to get out, the up gets Mr. Truth the soldier, and says to the word, are you true? Because if not, back in you go. You're not coming through this gate. If the word gets past soldier truth, up steps another soldier called love and says, are you loving? Otherwise, you get back inside. You're not coming out through this gate. If a word gets past truth and love, up steps a third soldier called wisdom and says, well, you may be true, and you may be loving, but is this the right time for you to come out? Or are you the right word to use to express that thing? Are you wise? That's quite helpful, I think. Three soldiers, truth, love, and wisdom. Imagine your mouth being the city gate, and have those three soldiers on guard, not letting the words out, unless they can pass the three soldiers. Now, remember, we don't just want to restrain wrong words. We've got an amazing gift from God. It's a God-like gift to be able to speak, so we want right words. So here's another prayer, Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 14. Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is an amazing prayer. Just stop to think about that. May my words be pleasing to God. Our words that I said, what was it last time I said? Was it 16,000 words a day on average we speak? 
I think it was 16,000. <laughs> Each word is such a tiny thing that off it goes into the air. And it could be pleasing to God. The answer to sinful words is not say nothing. Don't become a Trappist monk with a vow of silence. There's something far better. Words that can even please the almighty creator. Wow. Is that possible? Yes. Yes, because the almighty creator, as well as being far beyond us, he is pleased with love and truth. And people being built up in their most holy faith. And above all, he is pleased with honour for his son. And our words, amazingly, can do all of those things. So there's, there's two really good prayers to pray for your words. We've had understand the relationship between your heart and your mouth. Pray about what you say. And here's a third help to control your words. Be careful who you spend time with. Be careful who you spend time with. Let's go forward from Psalms to Proverbs. And not the chapter that was read to us. I hope you will sometime notice the chapter that was read to us had loads of things that are coming up in this sermon. But we're instead going to go to 13 verse 20. That doesn't say anything about our words. It says this, Proverbs 13 verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. And this is especially true in how we speak. We are so influenced by who do you spend time with? Now, here's the example that is not on the level of whether words are sinful or good, but just showing that even how we speak gets affected by others. My sister went off to Oxford to train as a nurse. And Oxford's got quite a lot of posh people in it. And she went to a church, St. Ebbs, that's full of posh people. And... Then she came back to Hemel Hempstead, which is not full of posh people. <laughs> and I remember being in the shops with her and saying, oh, you sound so common, <laughs> which I partly felt annoyed by and partly felt was quite funny. And then we went off on a camp with London City Mission to look after children from the East End. And they found it hard to believe we both came from the same place because she now spoke poshly and I didn't. I know it, you lot from the far north might think me as a southerner, of course I speak Boshley, but I don't. Ha, who she mixed with had affected even how she spoke. It happens in all sorts of ways. Who you mix with affects how you speak on a more serious level. Mixing with gossips means that gossip becomes normal to you. Mixing with swearers means swearing becomes normal to you. Mixing with people who tell unclean jokes means unclean jokes become normal to you. Mixing with grumblers means grumbling becomes so normal to you, you don't even notice you're doing it. Mixing with people who joyfully talk of Jesus, who, whose words are thankful, whose words show they see the hand of God in circumstances around them and who love to speak of the Lord Jesus means all of that becomes normal to you. I was at Covenant College in Zambia and it was during a quite difficult time there and, the, and there was a bit of a bad atmosphere around. And then we got this visitor come to us called Tim Alford. He uh, was the head of Africa Inland Mission at the time. 
And oh, what a difference he made. Because his conversation was just so, he spoke of Jesus just naturally. He, he got us talking about serving God. Uh, he, he just promoted conversation that considered others without us even realizing it was happening because he just made it normal. Who we mix with affects how we speak. Some practical applications. Will you work at your home group and your Sunday fellowship lunch group, if we're hopefully we might be able to get them started again sometime soon, being a place with that sort of culture? What, what is the normal thing to speak about there? Another practical application, children at school. Not so many of you here tonight. Might be some listening online. Well, I know you're not at school at the moment. You're on holiday. But be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you spend time with. Look for people who what they talk about and the language they use is good to fit in with. Not actually fitting in requires your words to be wrong words. Another practical application. If mixing with gossips and grumblers or people whose words are a bad influence in some other way, what are you going to do about that? Sometimes we should just get out. Change who you're mixing with. Sometimes we should correct it. You know, if, if your fellow Christians, their words are being unhelpful, you're not supposed to abandon them. But uh, we're in Proverbs, so I'll read you another proverb. Proverb 9, verse 8. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. That's very searching about how do we respond when we're rebuked. Sometimes when people's words are wrong, the answer isn't get out, it's correct it. Sometimes when people's words are wrong, the answer is increase your boldness. When I left my job as a teacher, I realised I'd easily at theological college just be in the Christian ghetto. So I joined a cycling club because I like cycling and it was a way to mix with unbelievers and I hope be a witness to them. But after a while, mixing with, I think there's something about sportsmen together without any women around as a moderating influence. You know, the language is so bad and the jokes are so unclean. And it was influencing me. it, It was even influencing my words because there were words I would use as an unbeliever that I found to my shock were coming back. I remember saying to a, to a fellow Christian, Should I leave this or not? I was there to be a Christian witness, an influence, but I'm being more influenced. And he said to me, are you being salty? Salt stings. Are you willing to be bold and speak up for Christ? If not, get out. But give another try at being more bold or get out. So different responses to the people around us. Helps to control our words. Understand the relationship between heart and mouth. Pray about what you speak. Think about who you mix with. And third one, no, fourth one. Let the gospel give you security. And this one might not seem straightforward. What's this got to do with our words? But it has with certain types of words. Let the gospel give you security. There are words we say that when we stop and think, why did I say that? It's it's most odd. Why do we do it? Why do we like talking like that? Let's take, for example, gossip. 
Why do we sometimes like putting other people down? Why do we like finding a fault and spreading it? Well, a large part of it is if we put them down, we're putting ourselves up. If we can find and point out something wrong with them, well, we may feel better about ourselves or look better to others. Or it can be sometimes gossip is showing I'm in the know. I'm the person who's in the know. I'm the one with the news first. Again, it's about promoting self. Uh, Take another example. Children at school. Why do so many swear? Well, to fit in. To show you aren't a little child who just timidly does what the teacher and the parent says. In other words, it's about what do others think about you. It's about do they accept you. So many of our words, our wrong words, are a sign of insecurity. We're not secure in a relationship or in whether we're accepted or what others think of us. And that can promote words of gossip or criticism or harshness or boasting or just plain words to fit in. And so one of the biggest helps about uh, against many sins Many frictions in the church and many wrong words is let the gospel give you security. What's the gospel got to do with security? How does the gospel give you security? Well, I hope you can think of some answers. Massive subject. Let me just remind you of some some key verses. I'll I'll just pick out three um, because I had to cut down. There were so many. Romans 8 verse 39. What's this got to do with your words? Well, this, it says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What's that got to do with your words? You speak, well, it's massive security. And if so many of our words come from insecurity, there's the answer. Let's stick with Romans 8. What else does it say? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? But the answer is those other people in in school, in your class or at work can be or maybe even in your family can be against you. But it's saying God is for you. You keep hold of that. And then, well, who are they compared with having him for you? Here's another one. I'll just give you one more on security. Mark 1 verse 11. Jesus was baptized and the voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Oh, you say, what's that got to do with me? That was said about Jesus. Ah, yes, but it is about you if you are in Christ. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus? Well, that's not just something going on in you, sort of from a distance. You That means you are in Christ. And so what the Father says about him, he says about you. Oh, yes, he knows your sin. More than you do. But he still looks and says, you are my son whom I'm well pleased with and I love. We've got no need for defensiveness. We've got no need for those insecure words because we're not insecure. We're not insecure. Oh, yes, yes, we may often feel insecure, but we're not insecure because we're in the hands of the father and he has a secure hold. And we're in the hands of the good shepherd and he has a secure hold. So whatever we may feel, we are not insecure. And 
one of the ways to help us against many sins, including sins of our words, is to remember and take in more as security. Now, remember, remember, this isn't all about just restraining sinful words. It's all about promoting good words. And I think that remembering our security can help here as well. There was a tin miner in Cornwall called Billy Bray hundreds of years ago. He was a big character and he was a big, bold Christian because he was converted. And he went to a big stately home to tell the gospel to some people. And there, I suppose on the gates, was a sign saying for people like him, because he's just a poor old tin miner, to go round to the tradesman's entrance, the little door at the back. Billy Bray looked at it and he said to himself, I'm a son of the king, so I'm going to the front door. And off he went and banged on the front door to tell them the gospel. Now, I'm not sure of his application. The application of this is not go and demand access to Buckingham Palace. But we could do with more of his boldness and his security. Because he's right. He was a son of the king. And so are you, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus. By the way, whether male or female, the Bible calls you a son of the king. Because in those days, it's the sons got the inheritance. It's saying you get the inheritance. You are a fully loved child of the king. That should give us boldness in what we say. To say what is for others good when it's difficult. To say what is honouring to Jesus when they might think it's odd. To say what pleases God, not just what pleases the crowd. To say what is true and right, not just what fits in. Security that the gospel gives us is such a help including for restraining wrong words and promoting right words. Well, I wonder if you noticed in the reading Proverbs 15 verse 4 that was read to us. Proverbs 15 verse 4 is an amazing verse. It says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Now that is quite a verse. It's saying our words can be amazingly effective. Words can be like a tree of life. Now, if you know the Bible, and it's starting with a tree of life and ending with a tree of life, and having on Calvary in the middle of a tree of life, you think, wow, that is high praise for good words. They can be like a tree of life. But it also says words can be like a metal weight dropped on your foot, crushing and painful and damaging. Human speech is a gift from God, a powerful gift. It can be used for good. It can be misused. But as well as that gift, he's given us these helps to control our words. So let's now this week go out and use them.